Hey, welcome back. Today I want to figure out why many small stories from my life tend to have unhappy endings. While teaching a class of high school juniors, a student once asked me, why so many books they've been asked to read in grades 7 to 12 have unhappy endings? The only stories with happy endings that I taught were the comedies of Shakespeare. The question struck me for the first time, and I've thought little about it since. Uh, I was stumped for an answer, that's for sure. I will talk about the difference between tragic and comic works, and thereby will seek to determine if my life story is one of tragedy or comedy to this point. And in part two of the following episode, I suggest that one can switch from a tragic to comic perspective on things. Can switch things around. Okay. Let's go to the auditorium for today's homily. I have not given much thought to the story of my life. Not sure what is exactly the story. I seem to get lost in all the sub-narratives weaving in and out of each other. It's one of those threads of a sub-narrative that one must follow if he or she is ever to discover what their central narrative is. Hopefully those threads unravel to lead me back to it once in a while, threads that must be explored if I am ever to discover it, the central narrative, the big story of my puny life. I'm looking for the central story, folks, for the big picture. These seemingly disparate story threads that I call sub-narratives or even subplots are each a separate story with a new beginning, development, and ending for each one. Yet, like individual vertebrae, these stories align themselves along the contours of the central spinal column that is the big picture, the central narrative of one's life. If there is a central narrative to be told, I haven't fully grasped it yet, and yet, I can tell you that there is one commonality among the seemingly disparate stories. The endings always seem to be the same. This commonality of endings, denouement, forms an archetype that ties my life into our humanity, connects me to humankind. So the answer to my question about what is the central narrative, the critical archetype that I convey in this series of podcasts, it is this. Another question, what is it that my endings all have in common, and that my beginnings all have in common? Well then, let us take a look. If I examine the beginnings of each sub-narrative thread, I find that the beginnings of the storylines all contain an element of union. On the other hand, separation is the commonality that prevails among the endings. 
Union then is followed by a separation. So what's the deal? My newfound central narrative is a story of new union, a sort of reunion that resolves in separation, a sort of falling away, sucked out of the hatch into the vast vacuum of the universe. My central life story then is one of tragedy, given that separation is a negative outcome of a particular union. In response to this tragic picture of things, I cry out, why could not my story be one of comic proportions, uplifting my fellow passengers on a sinking ship? And hey, perhaps someday it will switch around to become a story of separation threading its way into union. Now my central narrative comes close to exhibiting the death and rebirth archetype. According to many belief systems, in life there is death, in death there is life. Could not the word pair union separation be interchangeable with the word pair life death? Could we not reverse terms for a comic positive sequence such as separation, union and death life? Is it possible for me to write stories with happy endings, true comedies? I'd like to think so. Maybe I can undertake to make the switch from tragic to comic. I'd like to do that. I detest the rebel in me kicks up, thinking of my life being a tragic story. Now, there have been numerous victories over the three Ds, despondency, dependency, and disease, for example, during my lifetime. Why cannot my life be comic and triumph over death and the three D words above? Well, let me tell you how the evangelical Christian that I was once raised as would answer that question about switching things around. Then I will counter with my personal take on it. Sister Lucy and uh, Brother Bob, uh, if you'd come up here and help me with this, please. I've got a script for you to read. Son, you need to turn your life over to Jesus. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins and he will save you from what you call your tragic life. Why? Because if you ask the Lord Jesus into your heart, you will experience the joys promised to us in the Holy Bible. You have God's word on it. Jesus saves, son. Jesus saves. Jesus will save you from your sins that drag you so low to the ground. Do you admit that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Oh yes, I do admit that I am a sinner. Do you accept Jesus as your Savior? Uh, yes, indeed I do. Okay, now. Let's get on our knees. All you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive your sins and save you from eternal damnation. Okay. Dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and stay there for a while. Amen. So, 
there you have it, folks. Our new Christian is born again and walks away free from eternal damnation. The evangelical who led this person to Christ also admonishes the new convert about the importance of attending church, much in a similar way to when the newly recovered alcoholic is advised to attend as many AA meetings as possible in the first years of his or her recovery. All wise advice to keep one on the straight and narrow road to salvation and, well, to keep oneself alive. Now and, however, I was once or twice that young penitent above who turned his life over to Jesus. The pastor had convinced me that if I opened myself to accepting Jesus as my Savior, I could turn my life around for the better and good things would begin to happen, that I would experience the joy of being alive. But that was never to be the case with this preacher's kid. Things seemed to go worse when I tried it. Going through the motions of admitting I'm a sinner, asking forgiveness, then asking Jesus to come into my life once again. It is not for me to judge the actions of those who are happily enrolled in a program of faith in a higher being who are especially proud to be Bible-thumping warriors for Christ, although I do worry about those types, and I get nervous being around them. The non-thumper types I've encountered whose growth in their faith transcends their earthly existence. I can see Jesus the Christ in them. I've seen Jesus in those who profess not to believe in the God of their fathers. It's a wonderful world after all is said and done. Man, right? I was just thinking that that bit about seeing Jesus in people could arouse a lot of suspicion about my view of things. Acquaintances would shake their heads sadly and sigh. Yep, old PK, he's been whacked once too many times. Ha <laughs> ha, bah. I've been whacked, but not too many. Some of the most sacred moments in my life have involved persons who shine. If one shines, I mean his or her spirit is strong and vibrant. If it's not the spirit, then I'm not sure what it is. All I know is that it just shines in their personality. I'm sure many of you have experienced instances when you've encountered such individuals like that. It makes them stand out. Thank goodness for good people like that, right? Hey, well, that's enough for now. As always, may we find our way. Thanks for listening.